Okay, good morning. Today is Thursday, April 21. Moving right along. 2022 uh, class two uh, series life and teachings of Weibu Sayada and mainly teaching um, there's not that much to say about his life other than um, the, the brief history that we saw that I talked about last time there's another history that I found that I'm going to bring in here at the first part of today's class uh from a group called Vipassana Research Institute uh, from the Vipassana International Academy related to Vipassana or Inter International Meditation Center in Yangon or Rangoon, Burma. So as a Burmese teacher, one of the most important in the 20th century, actually, uh, Weibo Sayadaw influenced many others. Uh, he didn't have a direct successor, it seems, like many great teachers don't. But he influenced uh, two particularly who did a lot of um, major work uh, sharing Buddha Dhamma teachings and Vipassana practice technique um, globally. Uh, one of them is someone named Sayagi, Sayagi Ubakin, Ubakin, like uh, Webu Sayadaw, is the Sayadaw of Webu. And Sayagi Ubakin is the uh, Sayagi named Ubakin, or something like that, who influenced Goenka, very famous teacher um, who uh, started meditation centers around the world, was a very active person, S.N. Goenka, who, who teaches a certain sweeping method, mainly a sweep mindfulness meditation, Vipassana meditation technique that I don't think he learned from... <laughs> he didn't learn it. He, he was a student... So Goenka, Goenka G, was a student uh, of uh, some people, but one was uh, Sayagi Ubakin, Ubakin. He was a student indirectly of Weibo Sayada, or directly, but not a successor. So... You have the, the influence of Weibo Sayadaw was in some ways a as a root teacher for Goenka's work in in around the world. He was, you know, you need that kind of person. Goenka, personally, I never did the sweep method, and it seems too busy to me. Um, you you direct attention around the body, um, sweep through the body, different arms and legs, and here and there. That's a very that, that's a thicker, heavier. Um, uh, object of concentration than the sensation at the nose tip of inhale, exhale, come naturally, come go naturally, which is the nature of Anapanasati technique. So we're talking now, you know, shop talk uh, regarding fine points of Buddhist Vipassana mindfulness meditation technique. And what I started or how I learned was actually the oldest style, the very simple way of attentiveness to um, sensation of breath coming going naturally in the nose and the nostrils, which is um, seems to be uh, the, closer to the technique, if not just the technique that uh, uh, Weibo Sayadaw was teaching and worked with for, for himself. Goenka, as then a student of uh, Sayagi Ubakin, who was strongly influenced by Weibo Sayadaw, changed it or found a different method or did something else, um, and I doesn't appeal to me. Uh, so, you know, technique is important to the degree that you've got to feel comfortable with your technique and stay with it. Um, if you're not comfortable with it, consider another one. <clears throat> but shifting techniques and practices regularly can be a big problem, too. People get into trouble in one technique, and then they change to another, and they're okay. And then again, then then stuff comes up. They think the problem's the technique. The problem's not the technique. In some cases, the problem is that it's uh, it's triggering or um, opening mind to the catharsis of pain, of various kleshas that come up in mind during the practice. That the technique finally, you know, the person develops sufficient concentration with 
you know, this or that technique. But then thinking that the technique is a problem or because stuff comes up and they don't realize it's just stuff coming up, they think the technique is the problem, I'm stuck. No, you're not stuck. You're experiencing aversion, actually. And uh, that aversion in the conscious mind or kleshas associated with that were uh, unlocked, so-called, or triggered to manifestation or ripened by the deepening of concentration by the technique. And that's not a problem with the technique. On the other hand, some techniques um, don't, quote, feel right or just don't seem to be right for any particular person. And so self-trust is important. So basically what I want to do is just read <clears throat> the uh, life of Waibu Sayadaw from this vridhamma.org site. The vridhamma.org site came from a group called Vipassana International Academy in, um, near, in Maharashtra, in India. So this is one of the satellite uh, groups that came out of uh, Sayagi Ubakin, who met Webu Sayadaw, one of the other satellite groups. See, when he died, Ubakin, in 1971, I think, uh, according to the Wikipedia page, he authorized um, half a dozen or so uh, individuals to teach. And the Wikipedia says, commissioned foreign students, entrusted them with teaching Vipassana in their own respective countries. And mainly in the U.S., U.K., Canada, Netherlands, plus Goenka in Bombay. And so this write-up of life of Webu Sayadaw from Maharashtra is related to Goenka getting authorization from Ubakin, um, Sayagi Ubakin, to teach Vipassana. And of these half-dozen or so authorized teachers... Goenka had the largest influence globally, it seems, in that um, he really wanted to start a global organization and did so. And, you know, it takes a person like a certain... I mean, some people have issue with Goenka personally, uh, meaning his personality. I don't really know much about him. I didn't follow him in any way. I already had my technique and teaching before <laughs> Vipassana was established in the West in the 90s you know, with the, or 80s, International IMF, IMC, International Meditation Center, and Barry, Massachusetts, and all that. Joseph Goldstein and Jack Cornfield and Sharon Salzberg and all those people. <clears throat> they studied, they, they met um, uh, maybe Ubakin, certainly they met Goenka, and they, some of them were right there uh, with Nisargadat as well. And before he died, they were taking teaching from some of the people who started Western Vipassana um, with Insight Meditation Society, Barry, Massachusetts, and satellite groups in the U.S., met both Goenka, or studied with both Goenka and Nisargadat. Nisargadat, maybe just a very short time. <clears throat> and then, uh, but they didn't, they don't teach the sweep methods that much either, which is interesting. Only the Goenka centers teach that technique the main line of uh, Western Vipassana teaching technique in the West um, is Anapanasati. And so, okay, so there's a you know lineage behind this write-up of Webo Sayadaw from this group, from a, one of the Goenka satellite groups in India. So let me go to that page. Um... Venerable Webu Sayadaw was one of the most highly respected monks of this century in Burma. And Sayadaw is a title used for monks. It means respected teacher monk. A little bit like Ajahn, I would think, in Thailand. <clears throat> he was notable in giving all importance to diligent practice rather than to scholastic achievement. Right, So it's practice-centered, like Chan or Zen. Webu Sayadaw was born in the village of Ing Yinpin, Ing Yinpin in Upper Burma, on February 17, 1896, this may be straight from Wikipedia, he underwent the usual monk's training in the Pali scriptures from the age of nine, when he became a novice, until he was 27, 
in 23, 1923, seven years after ordination, he left the monastery and spent four years in solitude. So that's the same sequence that I talked about last time, so that he um, becomes a novice monk at age nine, uh, he becomes a full ordained bhikkhu at age 20, he studies intensively until 23, um, and at 23, um, age 23, he actually, this says that he left, let me just see something, so he was born 1896 until 9, the last time was basically saying that he's or, he, he's a novice at 9, he's ordained at age 20, he studies for three years intensively, and then he leaves and uh, spends four years in solitude. So, I'm not sure there are numbers here, but uh, so by age, you know, 27 or so, um, he's have, have, is doing intensive practice or has done a lot of intensive practice and probably attains Nibban before he's age 30. It goes on, he practiced and later taught the technique of Anapanasati, awareness of in-breath and out-breath. And that comes from the two Sanskrit words, Ana and Apana. Uh, Ana, Apana is in-breath, out-breath, so that contracted to Anapana. He said that by working with this practice to a very deep level of concentration, right, Samatha, concentration, Dharana, uh, one is able to develop Vipassana, insight into the essential characteristics of all experience, anicca anatta dukkha. Anicca anatta dukkha, interestingly, they put it in the order I do. Impermanence, and they say anatta is egolessness and dukkha unsatisfactoriness. So impermanence, insubstantiality, or um, non-identity, and dukkha, stress, or dissatisfactoriness. And in many ways, though that realizing the three marks or three characteristics, those three, is the heart of, of what awakening is in Buddhism, and the four stages of awakening that are the you know magapala, the the path and the fruit magapath pala p h a l a fruit of the four stages, sotapanna, then non-returner or once returner, then non-returner, then arahant. Um, the path to each and the fruit of each are associated with progressively deeper realizations of the truth of the three marks of Anicca-Nattaka. Uh, progressively seeing more deeply the truth that all phenomena, outer and inner, particularly uh, perception and consciousness, <laughs> are impermanent, insubstantial, without a self, selfless, and dissatisfactory, unsatisfactory, stressful. Perception is stressful. Hmm? Conception, conceit, or, or, you know, eighth fetter identity is stressful. It's stressful to have a subjective identity. Uh-huh. It's stressful uh, to experience continual arising of perception and then conception in a subjectivist, a subjectivist field of consciousness. Now, that, that's pretty hardcore kind of stuff, actually. <laughs> and, and thinking about it, don't do much. You're thinking about it, it's interesting, but um, it isn't the same as the realization of it. And by the time people get to those realizations, the four magapalas, um, path and fruit of the four levels of attainment, the four levels of uh, realization in Buddhism. Um, much transformation of seven chakra conditions has been achieved. So a certain level of chakra transformation is needed for each of those four attainments. And they are attainments because they're realizations, because they're culminations of transformation of seven chakras. So by mindfulness, by anapanasati, by concentration, um, naturally insight arises is the teaching, is Weibo's teaching and I totally agree It complete as far as I know anything as far as I have any attainment or realization of anything, whatever that may be um, it's my experience, yes, also that 
um, uh, silent, like Ross said, silence of mind is a steady state. Uh, steady state is the steady, focused attention of concentration upon an object, which becomes ever more faint or subtle, like sensation of breath. In fact, <laughs> I mean, he never talks about it because he didn't have students that asked or it wasn't published, but you know, as far as I'm, my experience, uh, in deep meditation, I mean, I haven't gone beyond it, but I've experienced two breaths a minute, three breaths a minute, at the deepest levels. I'm not anywhere near his attainment or level of commitment at all, but <clears throat> I've experienced two breaths a minute, three breaths a minute, no control. The breath is not, no holding, no pranayama. And at two breaths a minute, three breaths, you know, two or three respirations a minute, there ain't a hell of a lot of sensation of air passing and go passing in coming out through the nostrils there's nothing nothing nearly nothing i mean i'm still aware that there's breathing i haven't keeled over but most of the time one's attentive of nothing of of no sensation uh-huh. so you're it was in my experience when it goes down to 3 breaths a minute um there ain't much sensation happening with the breathing and most of the time, it's the long release of exhale that also produces nearly no no great sensation, because uh, three respirations a minute equals three inhalation exhalation cycles a minute. The inhalation normally um, is not as long as the exhalation. I mean, there's you know stages along the way of changes in the ratio of time of inhalation to exhalation. This is a fine fine points for meditators kind of thing. There'll be times when the body wants to hold the breath on the inhalation, and there'll be times when um, the inhalation and exhalation um, change their ratio, meaning a longer inhalation and a shorter exhalation, or a long, or, or a shorter inhalation and a longer exhalation. That changes up as the body's pranic condition changes as one continues in developing concentration or staying with the object of concentration. At that point, sometimes the body holds the breath, meaning the, the, there's a like, it, it's sort of um, uh, non-technique pranayama, <laughs> pranically based pranayama, or bodily, uh, the, the body breathes the meditator. The body breathes itself as intention and volition fall away, as all one one's desires uh, unify into simply the desire to continue attentively watching object of concentration, which then increasingly becomes more subtle, and there's not much there. And then one's aware of not much there, or... Uh, a changing ratio of time of inhalation to exhalation and eventually a much longer exhalation than inhalation and eventually there's not much going on other than you know there is nothing like God Thomas said as a recommendation and this there is nothing <laughs> is a thought in the mind but a sense that hmm what's happening I don't know actually because uh conceiving is not occurring. Uh, but from that comes naturally this very subtle, unrecognized chakra transformation. And from that comes then Magapala, or the four attainments. And each of those are actually deepening realizations of Anishinaatudukkha. First is Anicca, and then, you know, Anatta or Dukkha, either one, uh, the whole thing, you know, you can go both ways, uh, anatta, anicca, dukkha, anatta, you know, all is impermanent and stressful, thus that is not myself, thus that is not of self, is one way to, to run the three. The other is anicca, anatta, dukkha, which is all is impermanent and insubstantial, and thus dukkha, or sad, stressful, you know, so you can prove anatta, by anicca dukkha, you can prove dukkha by anicca anatta, meaning you can see how unsatisfactory all phenomena are, including desire and intention and perception and conception. The very process of conceiving 
is realized as stressful. <laughs> the very process of conception, <clears throat> the perception-conception cycle, where there's a, what we conceive as a perception and then conceive as a conception, as an experience we believe of perception-conception, that that itself is seen as empty and dukkha. Uh, but <clears throat> these, these, you know, the final recognition of anicca dukkha or realization of three marks is what the non-returner uh, achieves as the pala or the fruit of arahant, of nibban, which is breaking the final fetters. Particularly eight, you know, eight, nine, ten, but eight and nine, I think, are really key. When you break eight, nine, ten is gone. Eight, nine is identity and restlessness. The end of a perception of restlessness is the end of perception. The arising of perception is restlessness, ninth fetter. The ending of restlessness is the ending of perception. <clears throat> and with the ending of perception comes the, the ending of subjectivity or conceit or tanamanas or some uh, personal subjective sense of uh, identity, eighth fetter. So, break... Oh. <laughs> now we have a lizard on the window. He has a long yellow stripe. <coughs> Sometimes this guy, they walk along the outside of the window... I think they like the cool feeling of the glass because it's cooler in here than out there. <clears throat> Maybe a visitor from above or beyond. So, but, 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 uh, ninth fetter restlessness is basically um, weakened progressively by continued samadhi or concentration. Deep, very deep level of concentration that Anapana, that, that Weibo Sayadaw talked about is a profound and subtle stilling of the entire mind-body-spirit, seven chakra, seven energy field, you know, apparent beingness vibratory condition, or the mind that perceives that whole thing or believes there is such a thing. (laughs) The distortion called called vijnana that is associated with identity that uh, conceives... Hi, hi. He's, now he's staring at me. <laughs> His head is going up and down. These guys have a funny funny style. Uh, it, it's... It, 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 by that <clears throat> ninth fetter restlessness, which is basically the instability of, of the energetics of mind, body, spirit, and the sort of imperfection, lack, you know, non-perfected condition of seven chakras. <clears throat> there is a restlessness, there is a, dis- a continual disturbance to the seven chakras, seven bodies, seven energy fields in the seven dimensions that we call a being or a jivatman, atman and jiva, jivatman, mind, body, spirit, beingness, totality complex, as Ra said. That sense of self with a capital S that <clears throat> there's a subjective sense to that seven field, seven chakra consciousness because of the restlessness, because the restlessness identity forms and because of identity forms uh, inner outer and time and space and then work to do. And then, of course, there's craving, craving for sensual experience and uh, mental or becoming experience, baba, and then, you know, ababa, formlessness. So all that craving comes from the fashioning of, a, of an identity, which itself is um, a fiction or a constructed product. And so identity is seen to be a Nichanatadukha also for uh, Atman going from six to eight. Anyway, okay, <laughs> going on. Webu Sayadaw was famous for his unflagging diligence in meditation and for spending most of his time in solitude. He was reputed to be an arahant, and it's said that he never slept. For the first 57 years of his life, he stayed in Upper Burma, dividing his time among three meditation centers in a small area. The, you know, that, that's just the way it is. The best of the guys, I mean, my type of guy, you know, the, the <laughs> Prateka Buddha type, who just, you know, does the, does the work and doesn't take the show on the road. He's not tr- starting 100 meditation centers. He's just, you know, teaching locally, um, 
you know, like 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 a glorious comet in the sky. It it um, flashes um, brilliantly, uh, beautifully, and then it's gone. Uh, and that's you know, he just for fifty seven years he stays in Upper Burma, right? He has no intention of uh, taking the show on the road or you know saving humanity or starting an organization. So he divided his time among three meditation centers. I don't know if they're meditation centers. They're basically <laughs> the monasteries. So you see, this is written by students of Goenkaji in India who frame everything in terms of Goenka's perspective, actually, coming out of Ubakin. And so you've got to see this overlay everywhere. And Goenka is not Webusayadaw. He's not directly, he, you can say he's in the lineage directly because he's a student or authorized by Ubakin, who met Webusayadaw once, maybe. It's a little bit like, you know, some people claiming, uh, it's, it's like if, if Rudy uh, claimed to be a student, Rudrananda claimed to be a student of Nityananda, it, it, I don't think he does, but he shouldn't. Or those people who came after, um, oh, God, I forgot the guy's name, the guru, I'll remember. So, so people who uh, didn't get direct transmission in any way from uh, Nityananda, two or three generations away, their teacher was somebody who met <laughs> Nityananda once. Something like that. They shouldn't be claiming to be in the lineage of Nityananda or something. They can love him, but don't don't claim to be in a lineage when your teacher met the guy once. So maybe it's that way. But but I've found the Goenka organization quite political and a little bit dogmatic in terms of this is the one and only way, and that's all. So to even call the temples where Weibo Sayadaw were was in Upper Burma meditation centers is mistaken. They're not meditation centers, they're Burmese temples. And uh, But Goenka has meditation centers, and Ubakin started meditation centers. Because they're not monks. I don't think that uh, Goenka and Ubakin were monks. So there's a big difference between monks and non-monks teaching Vipassana. Actually, the monk is a very... is a person who give their whole life... I mean... You know, obviously, non-monks can be arahan too, but there's just a different perspective. So anyway, I wouldn't say that it was meditation centers in Upper Burma. They were monasteries or temples. After his first trip to Rangoon at the invitation of Sayagi Ubakin in 1953, Webu Sayadaw included southern Burma in his travels, visiting there to teach and meditate from time to time. He also went on pilgrimage to India and Sri Lanka. Lanka. Webu Sayadaw spent his final days at the meditation center, <laughs> the meditation center, the temple in the village where he was born. He passed away on 26 June 1977, not too long ago, at the age of 81. So then, because they are students of Goenka, and Goenka was authorized by Ubakin, there's the write-up of the first meeting between Webu and Sayagi, uh, Sayagi Ubakin. And this is interesting. So the following describes Sayagi, their, the teacher that the students of Goenka revere, because he's sort of in the lineage of Goenka. The following describes Ubakin, uh, Ubakin, Sayagi Ubakin's first meeting and subsequent contact with this noble person, meaning noble is a technical term meaning attained to one of the four levels of attainment, Magapala. But uh, I do think that... Um, Webu Sayadaw was an Arahant. I mean, that's what it looks like to me. At the beginning of 1941, so 80 years ago, uh, Sayagi Ubakin had been promoted to the post of Chief Accounts Officer, Burma Railways Board, right? Like Captain Natangi. <laughs> there are a lot of railway <laughs> people who end up becoming senior disciples or devotees of great masters. Very interesting. Uh, the train, the train man. One of the duties was to travel on the Rangoon-Mandalay line 
auditing the accounts of local stations. He traveled in a special carriage for the chief accountant with full facilities for office work and sleeping overnight. His carriage would be attached to the main train, then detached at various stations. Interesting job. One day in July, by error, his carriage was detached at a station in the town of Kyokse, 40 miles south of Mandalay, so in the south. Uh, Although he was not scheduled to audit the accounts there, as an accounts officer, he was permitted to check the accounts of any station, and he proceeded to do this. He was responsible and meticulous in his work. After his work was over, he decided to visit the nearby Shuetarliang Hill Hill, and set out with the local station master. Sayagi Ubakin had heard that a monk named Webu Sayadaw, who had reached a high state of development, was residing in the area, <laughs> with no interest uh, to going of, in going to the big city. From the top of the hill, they could see a cluster of buildings in the distance. They recognized this as the monastery of Webu Sayadaw, and decided to go there. At about 3 p.m., they arrived at the compound. An old nun sat pounding chilies and beans, and they asked her if they could pay respects to the Sayadaw, Webu Sayadaw. Quote, this is not the time to see the Reverend Sayadaw, she said. He's meditating and will not come out of his hut until about six o'clock. This monk does not entertain people. He only comes out of his hut for about half an hour in the evening. How about that? If there are people here at the time, he may give a discourse and then return to his hut. He will not meet people at times they may wish to meet him. Uh... Ubakin explained that he was a visitor for Rangoon and that he didn't have much time. He'd very much like to meet Weibo Sayadaw. Would it, be not, would it not be possible to pay respects outside? The nun pointed out the hut, a small bamboo, meaning he's sort of saying, I want to go outside and pay my respects to him who's inside by staying outside. The nun pointed out the hut, a small bamboo structure, and the visitors went there together. Sayagi Ubakin knelt on the ground and said, Venerable Sir, I've come all the way from Lower Burma, Rangoon, and wish to pay respects to you. To everyone's astonishment, the door to the hut opened, and Webu Sayadaw emerged, preceded by a cloud of mosquitoes. (laughs) Sayagi Ubakin paid respects, keeping his attention in the body with awareness of Anicca. Okay. So you see, these these guys are following the Goenka technique and put little flourishes in. And you know, even that, right? Keep attention in the body with the awareness of Anicca. If you keep awareness on the body without thinking, um, you don't need to be thinking about impermanence. Awareness of impermanence is not thinking of impermanence, right? So, even that is not clear. If you say the teacher, the, these are the students of Goenka talking about their teacher's teacher, Ubakin meeting Weibo Sayadaw, who was not in the Goenka lineage in any way, actually. The, the, their teacher met Weibo Sayadaw, uh, keeping attention in the body with awareness of Anicca. Okay, is that how the story was told originally? But awareness of Anicca, what does even that mean? Awareness of impermanence. Awareness of what? Thinking that all things are passing, are impermanent? Well, then you're just thinking. You're focused on thinking about impermanence. Is that what he was doing? I don't think so. He was probably just quite present, you know, not thinking about this or that, not proliferating Sankara. He was present uh, in the moment. Is that awareness of Anicca? I guess so, but I wouldn't say that. You know, you might think so, but I couldn't possibly comment. So, you may say so, but I couldn't possibly comment. Uh, I don't think that he was thinking, now I have uh, attention to the awareness of impermanence. I think uh, Ubakin was just quite present in the moment. Uh, So, then, what's your aspiration, layman? Webu Sayadaw asked Ubakin. My aspiration is to attain Nibbana, sir, he said. Nibbana? How are you going to attain Nibbana? (laughs) Dude. Through meditation, by knowing Anicca, sir. Stock answer. (laughs) Said Sayagi, said Ubakin. Uh, 
Okay, where did you learn to be aware of this impermanence? Anicca. Uh, and then, meaning that's the question from Webu Sayada, where did you learn to be aware of this impermanence? Because Ubakin is saying, I'm going to attain Nibbana through meditation and by knowing Anicca, sir. See, this is the problem, right? The reality is that Ubakin may or may not have had a single pointed goal for Nibbana. Maybe he did. I don't know. Um, but maybe he didn't. But he thought he did. I don't know. How dare I say such a thing? Maybe. You know? I mean, there are great people in this world that have blind spots. No? So, and then there's the devotional mindset which says, my teacher is perfect, and how dare you question it? Anyway, he's saying, I'm going to attain Nibbana through meditation and by knowing impermanence. And Wei Vasayada, you know, look, cocks his head to the side and says, okay, where'd you learn to be aware of this impermanence? Then, Ubakin explains that how he studied Vipassana meditation under Saya Tetki. Okay, so at that point, Wei Vasayada is interested because, okay, so you've studied Vipassana meditation. Okay, and he says, you've been practicing Vipassana. Yes, sir, I'm practicing Vipassana. Okay, Webu Sayadaw replies, what sort of Vipassana? <laughs> Which is really important. What, you know, you say you're practicing Vipassana, okay, what do you mean? What exactly are you doing with your mind when you are doing what you say is practicing meditation or practicing Vipassana? Sayadaw, Webu Sayadaw questioned him closely and Sayadaw and Sayagi gave the details. The Sayadaw was very pleased, meaning Webu, he said, I've been meditating in this jungle alone for years in order to experience such stages of Vipassana as you describe. Uh, and that seems to indicate that he was, you know, respectful, obviously. Is he saying that, Ubakin, you're above my level or not? Who can say? And the text from this here, which is the student of Goenka in the lineage, says that he, Webu Sayadaw, seemed astonished to encounter a householder who had reached advanced proficiency in the practice without being a monk. Webu Sayadaw meditated with Sayagi, and after some time, Webu Sayadaw said, You must start teaching now. You have acquired good parami, meaning merit, and you must teach the Dhamma to others. Don't let people who meet you miss the benefits of receiving this teaching. You must not wait. You must teach. Teach now. And so, he says, You have good merit and you have some attainment, and you know um, the essentials of the practice and the teaching, and you should now teach, right now. Then it goes on, with a Dhamma injunction of such strength from this saintly person, Sayagi Ubakin felt he had no choice but to teach. Back at the railway station, the assistant station manager became his first student. <laughs> Sayagi instructed him in Anapanna meditation in his railway carriage using the two tables of dining compartment as their seats. Although Sayagi did not begin to teach in a formal way until about a decade later, so he's ten more years working for the railway company, this incident was a watershed. It barked the point at which Sayagi Ubakin began to share his knowledge of meditation with others. Then there's the visit to Rangoon in 1953. Uh, which is the write-up of uh, Webu Sayadaw coming to Rangoon. In 1953, at a time when there was so much conflict and strife in Lower Burma, some government officials suggested that they should invite some of the saintly monks of the country to visit the capital, Rangoon. This was um, political, social um, issues of, of, you know, governance and... uh, stability. There was a traditional belief that if a highly developed person visited in a time of trouble, it would have a beneficial effect and the disturbances would calm down. Webu Sayadaw was not well known in Rangoon because prior to this time he had strictly confined his travels to his three meditation compounds in Kyaukse, Shuibu, and Ingyipin, the monasteries and temples up there, never leaving this small area of northern Burma. Sayagi, however, meaning Ubakin. Uh, so this is basically 12 years after the first meeting. 
Ubakin, however, felt strongly that the saintly monk should be invited to visit Rangoon. Even though he had not seen nor communicated with Weibo Sayadaw since 1941, Sayagi felt confident that he would accept the invitation, so he sent one of his assistants to Upper Burma to ask Weibo to come and visit his center in Rangoon for a week. <clears throat> so 12 years later, he makes that request. This was during the time of the monsoon retreat, uh, Vasana, I think, not Vasana, maybe Vasana, maybe. The monsoon retreat, three months, when monks, according to monastic rules, must spend their time in meditation rather than in travel. Monks are not ordinarily permitted to travel during the monsoon retreat. However, for a special person, a monk may leave his retreat for up to seven days. When Ubakin's messenger reached Mandalay and people heard what his mission was, they scoffed. Webu Sayadaw never travels, they told him, especially not now during the rainy season, the rains. He will not go out for even one night, let alone seven days. You're wasting your time. Nevertheless, Ubakin had sent him on this errand, so he persevered, the messenger. He hired a taxi to Shuibu and sought an audience with Webu Sayadaw. When the assistant told Webusayado that he had been sent by Sayagi Ubakin and extended his invitation, the monk exclaimed, or say Webusayado said, Yes, I'm ready, let's go. This response was a great surprise to everyone. And that's because um, he might do best in solitude, he may have an inclination to solitude, he needs nothing from anybody he already is. He already is at the condition of needing nothing, wanting nothing from no one. I don't need nothing from no one. But he's a, you know, a man. <laughs> he is a great being and an arhan, so he knew what was happening in Rangoon, and he knew that it would be helpful for him to go. Helpful to, you know, service to humanity. Very straightforward. Less I'm ready, let's go. And so then, Webusaido, accompanied by some monks from his monastery, then paid a visit to the International Meditation Center, started by Ubakin. This visit, coming after more than a decade since the two men had first met, demonstrated Webu Sayadaw's high regard for Sayagi. <laughs> yeah, say the students of Sayagi's successor or student Goenka. But that's not all. It's also that um, Webu Sayadaw knew there was a problem and he would be helpful. It would be helpful for the people of Burma that he was in, in the city rather than up in the temples in the north. Moreover, it was unusual for a monk to stay at the meditation center of a lay teacher. Between the years of 1954 and his death in 1977, Webu Sayadaw made regular annual visits to towns in southern Burma to teach Dhamma. So he went to different places then um, for the last years of his life. Um, and that's, you know, because he, he was already an Arhan, I would think, and, uh, I mean, pretty obvious, I think. And, um, you know, he's kindly bent to uh, be of service to all, you know. There's nothing he needed from anybody or anything at that point. So it was radiant like the sun. During Sayagi Ubakin's lifetime, uh, he, Rebu Sayadaw, periodically visited IMC as well, International Meditation Center. Sayadaw was held... You see, they love... They, 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 they consider Goenka and Ubakin their teacher. And so, Weibu Sayadaw is sort of secondary for them. The Sayadaw, meaning Weibu Sayadaw, was held to have attained high attainments in meditation. It was a great honor for IMC to receive him. When Weibu Sayadaw visited Sayagi Ubakin Center, he usually gave a short Dhamma talk every day. He once mentioned, When we first visited this place, it was like a jungle, but now what progress has been made in these years? It resembles the time of the Buddha when many benefited. Can one count the number? Innumerable. At one time, uh, uh, Sayagi, meaning Ubakin, decided to fulfill the Burmese tradition of becoming a monk at least once in one's lifetime. So he was a lay teacher all his life, Ubakin, it seems, nearly all. Without notifying anyone in advance, he and one of his close disciples, Wu Ko Lei, then vice-chancellor of Mandalay University, went to Weibu Sayadaw Center in Shuibu and, under Sayadaw's guidance, took robes for a period of about 10 days. 
after Ubakin's death. Ubakin died, um, he was younger than Weibo Sayadaw, but died earlier uh, of some, it was some um, medical procedure issue. So after Ubakin's death, Weibo Sayadaw visited Rangoon and gave a private interview to about 25 students from Sayagi's or Ubakin Center. When it was reported to him that Ubakin had died, he said, Your Sayagi never died. A person like your Sayagi will not die. You may not see him now, but his teaching lives on. Not like some persons who, even though they are alive, are as if dead, who serve no purpose and who benefit none. So, um, he didn't say what attainment Sayagi Ubakin had. Um, that doesn't really matter anyway. And, and you know, whatever the level, the level. Um, we don't know <laughs> for sure. But, or, you know, uh, we think we know. I think I know that, uh, you know, uh, Weibu Sayadaw was an Arahan. I can't say I have certainty. Uh, how do I have certainty? What is certainty anyway? So... I don't have certainty, but I think I know. But in a sense, it's not critical. Uh, what's critical, I think, is to do our best in trying to understand the heart of their teachings and then apply them. Uh, as to, you know, Weibo Sayadaw, there are three levels I just want to say. What I'm going to do today is complete the introduction. Uh, and I don't think I can even read the first major... Um, encounter or the uh, discourse about what really called what really matters. I'll just finish the introduction today. But before that, I want to make a point that there's um, three levels or three perspectives I have on Weibo Sayadaw. There's Weibo Sayadaw as a man who attained, uh, in my view, at Nibban by. Um, going straight in his life, you know, novice at nine, monk, bhikkhu at 20, three years of intensive study, and then four years of intensive um, solitude practice, and then basically 30 more years till he was in the late 50s, um, in more or less in solitude, meditating nearly all the time, even though he's probably in our hut already. So there's Weibo Sayadaw as a man who attained Nibban, there's he as a phenomenon. And and that is, this is what going straight looks like. You want to go straight, young man? Go straight. Um, he was single-minded. Uh, he was completely without adornment, no bells, no whistles. He went straight to the heart of self or the heart of no self or the center of being or higher self or God or source uh, his conscious mind was directed that's why he was in solitude he was in uh, practice <laughs> in solitude all the time with a cloud of mosquitoes and you know that's an exceptional being and so there's Weibu Sayadaw as a man who has a, um, a personal trajectory of his lifetime. There's Weibo Sayadaw as an example, as an archetype. <laughs> this is what going straight looks like. Going straight to source. A conscious mind seeking the infinite and nothing else. Seeking nothing from no one. Solitude as the lifestyle. Practice solitude, practice alone. You know, he wasn't doing Dutanga, but he was never, he didn't need to sleep, so it seems. And that's what happens, you know, what happens, you don't need to sleep. You, you see, he was out of body a lot, and he was probably doing world service. And he might have even been, you know, working on the same team as Nityananda, who knows. He basically, you know, he was born around the same time, 1896 or so, late, you know, the second half of the 1890s, just like Nityananda. And Nityananda left in 61, and um, Weibo Sayadaw left in 77. 
they were both around for World War World Wars One and Two. You know, what do you think he was doing <laughs> in that hut alone for three decades, from twenty-seven age twenty-seven to age fifty-seven? You know, from what nineteen twenty-three to nineteen fifty-three, or something like that? What was he doing? He was in practice. What was he doing? Well, I mean, I imagine he was already finished in his thirties, and meaning he was already Arahan. So he had twenty or thirty years of, um, you know, exploring Jana. Well, yeah, but he's probably doing global service of some sort. So there's Weibo Sayada as an archetype um, of what it means to seek God and nothing else to seek attainment and nothing else, to depend on the inner and nothing else, to trust the inner and nothing else, to know that uh, all I seek is what I is, to all I seek is available here, now, by mind, or starting with this mind, this mind can find all it needs for complete and perfect fulfillment, right? Complete and perfect enlightenment, there's light. Yeah, okay, there's light. Well, how do you feel? There's bliss. <laughs> there's satchit ananda or ananda or the the happiness of uh, liberation. So all that I seek, all that is of supreme value, all, uh, all I seek only supreme value, all that I seek is within, the kingdom of heaven is within, right? Everyone says the same teaching. Every great teacher knows all the highest value is within, not sensual, not formal, not formless. The highest value of well-being, for well-being, right? What's the point here? We're not doing this, you know, uh, for some exercise. Uh, the purpose of practice is not to keep practicing. It's to attain the fruits of practice. And the fruits of practice are not for the purpose of, you know, showing light, enlightenment or light, bringing light in. You can say that, sure, but at the emotional level or the feeling level or the self-evaluation process, we want to be well, you know, we want to be well, we want to be beyond distress, beyond dukkha, right? This is about dukkha and freedom from dukkha, right? So it's about pain and and final final ending of pain, final freedom, permanent freedom from pain, permanent freedom from pain, permanent freedom from dukkha, stress, dissatisfactoriness. That's kind of part of it, I think. And so, the highest value is that which is of greater freedom from pain, greater permanence and stability of freedom from dukkha. And that is all within. So, Weibo knew that, lived that, showed that, didn't need to talk about it, talked about it when they asked him to, otherwise he went home and kept manifesting and did, you know, plantar service, I'm sure from that hut in Upper Burma. So there's Webo Sambada, the archetype of um, absolute um, so-called self-trust. I mean, we, you know, we're talking, using terms that are of psychology and uh, even Advaita Vedanta self uh, with a capital S. But, you know, Buddhist, <laughs> the, the key teaching of Anatta uh, kind of discourages use of the word self, but we could say it's an absolute self-reliance, <laughs> absolute reliance on the teaching of Dhamma and um, the practice. Teaching and, you know, the absolute trust in the teaching, absolute trust in himself or his own powers or what he is or that one there, and complete um, purity of intention, complete and then there's Weibo Sayada um, in us, or how it relates to me or you. Meaning, uh, the fact that there'll be times in our life when we do this too, but not a whole life like he did. Meaning, if you really are like him, you won't be listening to my yak-yak, you'll be busy doing what he did. Sitting in a hut with a cloud of mosquitoes, um, going straight, uh, going going to source, or uh, stopping going. No more going. Gautama saying, I have stopped. Fully stopped. 
the uh, samsaric process of arising perception and conception and continued subjectivity, okay? S- uh, fully seeking to stop, seeking only stoppage of the round of birth and death in body and mind. You won't be listening to me. So, you know, somebody can say, I only want Nibbana, but if you really only want Nibbana, you really won't be in the world. You'll be like him. Yet there are going to be times when we uh, act like this or, you know, he, he, he's full tilt, um, seeking nothing but the infinite, the absolute, and or seeking freedom from seeking. Because, you know, the guys like this, they're not seeking a thing. They're surely seeking to be finished with desire. They're seeking to be finished with avidya. They're seeking, if they're seeking anything, then also to be of benefit to the octave, <laughs> to the whole planet, <laughs> to the dimension, to the plan. And they know about higher dimensional beings, of course. They know much, much more than they say. What do you think he's doing in his hut all day? So he's doing something that's interdimensional also. But there are going to be times in our life when we uh, live this way or we realize how wonderful his way is and then we apply it to ourselves. And then, because we're not him, we'll stop and pause or look another way or get more involved in desire. Yeah, let's be honest. And so, uh, one can't be Weibo until one's ready to be Weibo meaning one can't have this absolute single-minded um, devotion or focus on complete and perfect attainment um, and complete uh, trust in uh, the powers, one's own powers, uh, to bring absolute fulfillment and absolute completion of the path. Uh, There'll be times when we uh, go straight like he did. His life was all go straight or stop. And there'll be times when we also go straight or stop. And so we can look at it two ways. It's go straight and stop. (laughs) Go fast, hurry up and do nothing. Don't do nothing. Don't, don't, what did I say? Uh, Don't do nothing, hurry up. In the Buddhist way is uh, don't hurry up, do nothing. Or hurry up and do nothing. Or stop, do nothing. Stop and see. I mean, what is he doing? He's doing mindfulness. What is mindfulness? Mindfulness is freedom from grasping aversion, ignorance, or it's attentiveness, non-grasping attentiveness. He's doing no seeking, but just the attentiveness to what is, or his practice on Apanasati. And the whole universe is revealing itself... um, in the stoppage of his seeking, by way of the stoppage of his seeking, because there's attentiveness, right? Attentiveness is not seeking. It's just seeing. And in in the power, the growing power of the light, that's called enlightenment, the growing power of the light, the, the sun shining ever brighter in a uh, completely, you know, in a, in a sky approaching zero humidity. <laughs> as the sky of mind uh, approaches zero humidity and zero turbulence, right? There's no wind blowing. There's no water in the air. Well, then the essence of the air that's normally covered by uh, dirt and uh, water and moved into activity starts to scintillate, be seen, it's, it's... you can, you know, when the pond is not moving, you can see the the bed from the surface, right? The seabed, the pond, the bed of the lake, the bottom of the lake can be seen from the top. Light goes straight when there's no disturbance and no in no um, admixture, right? The the water, you can see light goes straight far. Um, there's a connection between here and there, 
there's non-obstruction, the visual and uh, light non-obstruction, non-diffraction, non-curvature, uh, <laughs> non-blockage, uh, where there's stillness, the water's not moving, and there's no muck in the water, there's no particulate matter. Likewise, the sky of mind. When there's no more water, and there's no more wind, and there's no more dirt, no smog, no wind, no water, the nature of what the sky is appears. <laughs> the scintillation, the scintillating nature of the skies, the very true nature of the sky appears. And then the sky disappears because the true nature is all that's seen. The true nature of the sky of mind is, is what's seen. No longer a subjective sky of mind. <laughs> uh -huh. So that's what happens with uh, approaching you know, absolute zero. Lord Kelvin and absolute zero. Um, <laughs> Lord Kelvin, absolute zero, and uh, Anuttara Samyak Samadhi. So something like that. Okay. Seven points. Um, the, the, but don't don't underestimate that 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 um, one may see true nature when there's no more disturbance, no more motion, and no more desire. That's what that is. Nor a coverage of blockage of um, particulate matter uh, and water. You know, water and dirt uh, are gone from the river or gone from the lake, gone from the sky. Then not only for a, for a pond you can see from one end to the other or see perfectly through the depths, but for the sky, what is the sky that normally is the field in which there's wind motion and dirt and water, um, you know, obstructive material overlay? What it is is then apparent. It's nature. The nature of the true nature of the sky is seen, and that's where um, that that's uh, there are going to be times in life when we're yeah yeah the floor is creaking by itself. There are going to be times in life when we're tired of the world and tired of uh, engagement and relationship and tired of. Um, the round of seeking and getting and finding and enjoying and changing and losing and wanting again and all that. And we are ready to stop. Stop go, means go straight. Go straight and stop. <laughs> Just stop. Just say no, said Nancy. So uh, there'll be times in life when his way uh, we adopt, we we revere, we follow, and we stop. Go straight here means stop. And um, it, it's essential, or, or there's a supreme value to it. Um, meanwhile, you know, after we t taste the supreme value of some relative stopping, uh, you know, the wind blows again and uh, the water gets, you know, <laughs> humidity arises and particulate matter and dirt and smog and stuff happens and we get caught up and we become worldly yet again. Okay, you know, when we're finished with that, you'll be finished with that. So f I guess I won't look at the seven points. Okay, that'll be it. Next time I'll go to the seven points um, that are the heart yeah, next time I think what I'll do is I'll start with the seven points and jump into the first main uh, teaching um, translated by Roger Bischoff called What Really Matters in the book Essential Practice, Part 1. So I hope this was useful. Um, I hope I could illuminate the nature of stopping and absolute trusting of what I is or one's inner, what the resources available uh, of mind, you know, the resources of our being and the supreme value that can be found in regularly stopping. And um, uh, he's a great 
you know, example of um, a completely, complete uh, unification of intention or completely unified purpose seeking only complete and perfect attainment. And so, and he, and that's point number four. He said, one should not aspire to any happiness of either the human or celestial worlds, which are impermanent in Nietzsche, but only to Nibbana. And that's his way. He didn't aspire. He was not interested in human or celestial world happiness. He was not interested in Triloka. <laughs> he was finished with Triloka. He had no interest in in <clears throat> Kamaloka, Bhavaloka, Abhavaloka, Kamaloka, Rupaloka, Arupaloka. He wasn't interested in anything. He was finished. He was ready to join the Guardians. And thus he did. <clears throat> so that's it for today. I hope it was useful. Thank you to everyone involved. Take good care and good night.